0: This podcast contains some strong themes which are not for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. By now, the captain could feel the plane making an unexpected descent and banged on the cockpit door. He shouted, It's me. Andreas could, at this point, see the captain's face on a screen connected to a camera on the cockpit door. Andreas didn't react. The captain then grabbed some kind of extinguisher or oxygen tank and attempted to break down the door. He called back to one of the crew members to rush and get a hidden crowbar while he shouted to Andreas for the love of God, open this door. This is Red Rum a podcast focusing on the true victims of crime. Episode 21, Leia Dropple. First of all, I wanted to say thank you to our Patreon supporters. We've now produced five extra episodes, and it means so much to know that you're enjoying the content. We really appreciate you supporting the show. And allowing us to continue making episodes. Thank you to this week's brand new Patreons Dr. Pierce, Rebecca Powers, Laura Keane Morris, and Sophie. On the 23rd of April 1999, Leia Drupal was born. She grew up in Lipprensdorf, a village outside See in Germany. Like most teenage girls, she loved to hang out with friends and watch American sitcoms. She had a very good relationship with her brother, Henrik. The two of them would come home from school, turn on the TV and watch their favourite The Big Bang Theory Both siblings had a great relationship with their mother, Anne, and the house was full of family photographs. Leia grew up loving music and acting. She enjoyed being on stage, and theatre was her one main love in life. Not only did Leia enjoy music, but she was known for writing her own songs and playing along to them on her piano. Leia had grown up being part of a local choir, and in early 2015, she landed a role in the May showcase of Peter Pan. She would be playing Captain Hook, and the next four months of her theatre rehearsals would involve her preparing for this. She would rehearse every Saturday afternoon, and it was something she looked forward to every week. One morning, Leia arrived at school at Josef Koenig Gymnasium in Holtenham See, when she was informed that 16 students across three different Spanish classes in the 10th grade would be chosen to go on a week-long exchange program organized with the Institute of Linares in Barcelona. The chosen students would fly from Germany to Spain and then spend a week with a host family being immersed in the culture and lifestyle and would hopefully pick up a few Spanish phrases along the way. Leia was desperate to be chosen. She was incredibly smart and sociable and this trip would not only help her gain a deeper understanding of the language but also allow her to connect with some brand new friends. The day soon came when the names of 16 students would be picked out of a hat to go on the week-long exchange program. Leia was ecstatic when she heard her name called, along with 13 other girls and two boys. The group would be chaperoned by two teachers. On the morning of the 18th of March, Leia finished up at her makeup table and packed up the last of her things to her suitcase and hauled it downstairs. Her excitement levels were quite incredible. She was heading to Barcelona with her best friend and next door neighbor, 15-year-old Kaya Festerman. The pair arrived at the airport and Leia checked she had all of her things. She snapped a photo of her boarding pass and jokingly typed a text to her mum writing of her anxiety for flying on the low-budget airline. She quickly reassured her mum that she was joking and sent her a voice recording, speaking some basic Spanish terms. She was going to have a great time. The students soon boarded the plane and set off on their travels. The journey was smooth, and once they'd arrived, high on adrenaline, Rosa Marcia Garcia, a professor at IES, arrived to greet them, and soon enough, the teens were sent to meet their host families. The next week was full of museums, incredible architecture, tours of the city, and the thing Leia was most excited about, learning about the live music and performing arts venues. Barcelona is also known for its repurposed warehouses and industrial buildings which have become cultural centres named art factories. After almost a full week, jam-packed with activities and excitement, the sixteen students and two teachers arrived at the airport, ready to board their two-hour flight home. They arrived at Barcelona's El Prat airport, into Terminal 2, and boarded their flight 9525 with no issues or problems. Once on board, the plane was due to leave at 9.35am but sat at the gate for just over 25 minutes, waiting for confirmation of runway takeoff. The plane took off at approximately 10.01am. Leia heard Captain Patrick Sondenheimer over the speaker he apologised for the late takeoff and said they would try and make up for lost time whilst en route. Captain Sondenheimer was flying the plane with his co-pilot Andreas Lubitz that sunny March morning. The captain mentioned to Andreas that he had forgotten to use the bathroom before they boarded. Andreas said that he could go anytime. At 10:27 a.m., somewhere just over the French Alps. The plane reached its cruising altitude of 28,000 feet and the captain told Andreas to begin preparing for landing. This meant performing a number of routine tasks, including checking the latest airport and weather information, gauging fuel levels and making sure the landing gear was all working properly. Andreas responded to this by saying, We'll see. Unquote. At that point, the captain didn't make any reference to Andreas's odd response. It's possible that he didn't really notice. Andreas then said, in reference to the captain needing to use the bathroom, quote, You can go. You can go now. Unquote. The captain then made his way to the cockpit door, opened it, and called back, quote, you are in control now." Unquote. Andreas responded with, quote, I hope so. The captain then closed the cockpit door behind him and opened the toilet door. At this point, Andreas locked the armoured door to the cockpit. This mechanism was implemented and became mandatory after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. This meant it would be impossible for the captain to enter back into the cockpit without Andreas first unlocking the door. Andreas then reprogrammed the autopilot to accelerate the descent, making the plane go from 38,000 feet to 100 feet in just a few minutes. At this point, air traffic controllers did detect there was a problem. They tried a number of times to contact the plane by radio, but no one responded. By now, the captain could feel the plane making an unexpected descent and banged on the cockpit door to be let back in. He shouted, it's me. Andreas could, at this point, see the captain's face on the screen connected to a camera on the cockpit door. Andreas didn't react. The captain then grabbed some kind of extinguisher or oxygen tank and attempted to break down the door. He called back to one of the crew members to rush and get a hidden crowbar while he shouted to Andreas, For the love of God, open this door. At this point, Leia and the other passengers and crew could feel the unexpected decline and the panic of the pilot was clear. At this moment, an alarm signalled, the kind that you would hear when the ground is approaching, too quickly. The captain grabbed the crowbar and attempted to force open the cockpit door, smashing it and pushing it as much as he could, but to no avail. Andreas calmly placed an oxygen mask over his mouth, but said nothing. The captain shouted open this fucking door. Another alarm went off, signalling, terrain, terrain, pull up, pull up. Less than one minute later, the right wing of the plane smashed into a mountain at around 5,000 feet high, and the plane, moving at more than 400 miles per hour, exploded into thousands of pieces. Meanwhile, Leia's mum and other family members of the 16 school children were completely unaware of the events unfolding in the French Alps. As far as anyone knew, at least at this point, the plane had just lost contact, there were no confirmed casualties and the families of the schoolchildren hoped that they had missed their flight, or boarded another. Perhaps there was more than one German wings aircraft flying over the Alps at that time. Rescue efforts began, but all hope quickly faded when French President Francois Holland warned: quote, “There is little hope of finding any of the passengers alive.” Unquote. <laughs> rescuers discovered the true extent of the wreckage over the next hour. Colonel Jean-Paul Bloy, a senior officer who had reached the scene, said, quote, The debris is scattered over a hectare. There are a dozen large pieces of wreckage. The rest is scattered widely. It could take us several days to evacuate all the bodies. Unquote. All 144 passengers, including the 16 students and 2 teachers, as well as 6 crew members, were confirmed to be dead. Leia's brother Henrik was in school at the time of the crash. The school's teachers and students were utterly shocked, and after detailed recordings from the black box were recovered, the world was horrified at what had happened, on board flight 9525. The fact that someone trusted to safely guide members of the public to their chosen destination could intentionally kill 149 people was unbelievable to the family and friends of the victims. To understand more about why and how this disaster happened, officials needed to look into the man behind the name everyone had been speaking about. Who was the real Andreas Lubitz? Some details quickly emerged about the 27-year-old co-pilot. He was born on December the 18th, 1987, and had grown up always knowing he wanted to be a pilot. He had lived in a flat in Dusseldorf, as well as spending time at his parents' house near Frankfurt it came to light that Andreas had grown up in a small town in between Dusseldorf and Frankfurt. He had a pretty normal childhood and grew up in the care of his father Gunther and mother Ursula. Andreas became a glider pilot and after leaving school was one of only 5% of applicants accepted to train at the prestigious Lufthansa Flight Training Pilot School. Whilst there, He had, however, suffered a, quote, heavily depressive episode, which caused him to take a break from his flight training for a number of months. His depressive episode was accompanied with suicidal thoughts, and treatment for his symptoms included strong antidepressants. Medical reports state that the shift in mental state came in part from, quote, modified living conditions It was Andreas' first time away from home, and he gained an unhealthy obsession with not failing. He was also described as having the constant ringing of tinnitus, a symptom that is often associated with depression. Eventually, a doctor declared Andreas was completely recovered, and his student pilot's license was restored, along with his fit-to-fly medical certificate, on condition that he have, quote, specific regular examination". Andreas was able to continue flying. It's noted that any further psychiatric treatment for depression would result in his automatic grounding. Soon after, Andreas went on to become a co-pilot on the German wing's A320 fleet and managed to gain over 630 hours of flight experience. Andreas was likely aware that his past mental treatment could affect his ability to fly and was completing further training. He lied when filling out a US Federal Aviation Administration document. He did not disclose his conditions or treatment he had previously had and was actually found out. Just four days after Andreas had lied on the form, a German aviation doctor noticed the false statement and reported it. This could have resulted in prison time for perjury and a permanent flying ban. However, Andreas was told to be truthful on his forms and he was allowed to fill them out again. This time he was honest and he was accepted to continue flying. Lawyer Brian Alexander who acted on behalf of the families of the victims of the crash, claims that the screening process for mental illnesses, especially amongst younger pilots, is not thorough. He says that self-reporting allows for concealment. You can literally lie and get away with it. Towards the end of 2014, Andrea suffered psychosomatic symptoms and thought he was going blind he complained of light sensitivity and double vision. He was examined, but no medical issues were found. He was told there was nothing physically wrong that the doctors could see, but reports state he was unable to accept suggestions of alternative diagnosis, including one suggesting psychological causes. A family doctor encouraged Andreas to seek help at a psychiatric facility due to quote emergent psychosis, but Andreas refused. Searches of Andreas's apartment revealed some shocking discoveries. A tablet device showed a history of searches for ways to commit suicide, including producing carbon monoxide, drinking gasoline, which poison kills without pain, and on the 20th of March, just four days before he murdered 149 people, Andreas searched for information about the lock mechanism on the A320 cockpit door. Officers also found a journal entry dated March 22nd, which said, quote, Decision Sunday and scribbled next to it was flight code BCN for Barcelona. Also written were the words "...find the inner will to work and continue to live, deal with stress and sleeplessness, let myself go." There was a torn up sick note found in the apartment that included the date of the crash. Investigators stated that this supported the assessment that Andreas hid his illnesses from both his employer and his colleagues. Investigators also didn't find any indication of a political or religious motive for the crash, nor did they find a suicide note. Andreas's actual behaviour, at least to the people around him on the days preceding the crash, seemed normal. A pilot he travelled with on the day before noted that he was acting normally, and his girlfriend at the time said that the evening before the flight, The pair had gone grocery shopping and Andreas had seemed fine. The next morning, Andreas had been in the cockpit ready for the outbound flight to Barcelona. He had actually switched the plane's autopilot to the lowest setting of 100 feet before quickly switching it back to normal, before air traffic control had noticed. It's now thought that was a kind of test run for what was about to come on the return journey. Following the tragic events that took place on March 24th 2015, the German Aviation Authority implemented a rule that required two people to be in the plane's cockpit at all times. The airline immediately paid families up to €50,000 each for funeral and travel expenses but, unfortunately, weren't prepared to pay much more. There are European laws in place that actually limit the liability of an airline in such crashes. They can do this by invoking a legal principle that states that every flight contains an inherent risk and passengers willingly accept that when they buy their tickets. In the end, the total amount of money issued for each family amounted to about one-thirty-sixth of the CEO of the airline's annual 2.74 million euro compensation. A lawyer representing 42 of the German residents killed as a result of the crash requested a further 200,000 euros for each immediate family member. But of course the airline refused and demanded that they would only compensate for mental or physical illnesses of family members if they evidenced medical proof that they suffered such an illness. The airline states that the incident was beyond their control, and offered up a further 10,000 euros to each family, pennies of what the lawyers had originally fought for. The deliberate actions and subsequent deaths caused by Andreas mirror a number of events prior to the German wing's disaster, one of which resulted in the deaths of 33 passengers and crew. On the 29th of November 2013, flight TM470 left Mozambique's capital Maputo at 11.26am and made the journey to Angolian capital Luanda due to arrive at 2.10pm. The plane didn't make its scheduled landing and the last contact made from the plane was when it was over northern Namibia. The preliminary investigation report found that the pilot, Captain Herminio dos Santos Fernandes, had a quote clear intention to crash the plane and that he manually changed the aircraft's autopilot settings. It found that the co-pilot left the cockpit and a little under two minutes later, the captain locked the door. After another minute, the captain initiated descent and manually adjusted the speed. During the investigation, pilot psychologist Malcolm Brenner stated that during this time the captain was probably, quote, thinking about life and contemplating whether he could carry out such an action. The voice recording received from the black box revealed that there were a number of alarms going off during the descent, and loud bangs on the cockpit door, presumably from the co-pilot who was locked out of the cockpit. At the time, Mozambique Airlines had guidelines in place that required a cabin crew member to be present in the cockpit if the co-pilot needed to leave for any reason but these weren't well known or adhered to. Over the next few hours, patrols were sent in to search the area but due to the region being sparsely populated and covered with wetlands and dense forests, the task was difficult. However, by the following day, the wreckage had been discovered and over the next few days, patrols worked to retrieve belongings for loved ones and the black box. All 33 passengers and crew were declared dead. Investigation into the captain found that he had experienced life-changing events in the run-up to the murder-suicide. His daughter was in hospital for heart surgery at the time of the crash, and divorce proceedings had been ongoing for over a decade. In November of 2012, his son had died in a suspected suicide. The captain didn't attend the funeral and in fact the murder-suicide plane crash happened almost exactly one year after his son's suicide. This is a crash that I had never heard of and there aren't actually many details available in terms of news archives and reports. It's been speculated that this is because the crash happened in what was at the time referred to as a third world country. This term, third world country, is not really used anymore as it's outdated and often used in a derogatory way to describe a class of economically developing nations characterised by a population with low and middle incomes and other socio-economic indicators. This could be a reason as to why it wasn't as extensively reported on as the German Wings disaster. It's also worth noting that 33 people died in the TM-470 crash a number that many news outlets wouldn't have put their time and effort into. This lack of coverage and awareness in general, and especially in the airline industry, may have had some effect on the fact that safety measures put into place to ensure two people in the cockpit at all times weren't mandatory until after the German wing's disaster. Since then, the reported incidents on suicide by pilot have been 5 across 5 incidents, which basically means that the death by suicide was just that and didn't include murder as well. Unfortunately, I couldn't find information on all of the victims of the German wing's disaster, but here are the ones we do know. The victims included 72 German citizens, 49 Spaniards, 3 British nationals, Three from America, two from Australia, two from Argentina, two from Iran, two from Venezuela and one from the Netherlands, Colombia, Mexico, Japan, Denmark, Belgium and Israel. And of course we know that there were 16 students and two teachers. A statement uploaded to the school's website, said quote, The news of this terrible plane crash in France has shocked us all. Sixteen young students and two female colleagues will never again return to our midst. We mourn our students and pupils. Linda Burkian, Eleanor Bless Leia Druppel Celia Ayers Gina Michelle Gerdes anne kristen Hahn, Julia Hermann, Marlene Kohe, Paula Lutkinhaus, Fabio Hogger Rabea Scheideler, Lea Schugart, Helena Sieber, Stefan Strong, Eileen Vanhoff, Kaya Westermann, and our colleagues. Sonia Sertsek, Stephanie Tegatov. Our deepest sympathies go out to the parents and family and friends. We are all stunned and unspeakably sad." The Guardian released a statement from Robert Tanzil Oliver, the father of an American citizen who was killed in the crash. They reported Oliver said that he urges those who lost a loved one in the crash to not focus on the last 10 minutes of the flight. Quote, Think about the good moments, the wonderful moments, unquote. Two other American citizens, Yvonne and Emily Selke, were killed. A spokesperson from Emily's sorority house said, quote, As a person and friend, Emily always put others before herself and cared deeply for all those in her life." Unquote. Two Argentinian nationals, Gabriela Malmus and Sebastian Greco, were in Europe on vacation and were both just 28 years old when they died. Juan Armando Pomo was 51 years old and leaves behind a wife and two children, a son and a daughter. Martin Matthews was a father of two and from Wolverhampton in the UK. Paul Andrew Bramley was a 28-year-old college student from Hull and had been holidaying in Barcelona. His mother said, quote, Paul was a kind, caring and loving son. He was the best son. He was my world, unquote. Luis Eduardo Medrando was a 36-year-old architect from Colombia and Maria del Pilar Tejada was a 33-year-old economist also from Colombia. She was on her way back to Germany to complete her PhD in environmental economics. Marina Bandre lopez Belio and her baby son Julian Prax Bandres were killed. Marina was living in Manchester in the UK her husband said, quote, We have been living in Manchester for seven years. Marina was an editor and colorist, and we were both working in post-production for film and video. Marina was visiting her family in Spain for her uncle's funeral. She bought the tickets at the last moment and decided to return to Manchester quickly, as she wanted to return to her daily routine as quickly as possible. Unquote. Oleg Bryjak from Kazakhstan was a bass-baritone ensemble member of the Opera House in Düsseldorf. From Germany, Maria Radner, along with her husband and baby, Maria was also a performer and had just appeared with Oleg Bryjak. Iris Claassen, 20, from the Netherlands, was visiting a friend who was doing an internship in Barcelona. Carol and Greg Friday from Australia were a mother and son who had travelled to Europe for a trip before Greg was due to begin a teaching post there. Christian Drysens was a 59-year-old Belgian native who had moved to Barcelona to marry the love of his life. A 33-year-old unnamed woman who was travelling to Germany for business there were a number of people on board who were travelling for a food industry conference in Cologne. Josep Sabate Caselas from Spain had three children and his wife was expecting a fourth. As a result of the crash, German wings removed flight number 9525 and soon rebranded as Eurowings. Just under three months after the tragedy, 18 white coroner's wagons carried the remains of the victims to Holton Amsee for funeral services. There are still, today, a number of memorial sites for the victims. One is located at the site of the crash, one in a nearby village, and another at Dusseldorf Airport. After the disaster, Leia's host family sent her mum a photo album, filled with memories of the trip to Barcelona and the last few days of her life. Leia's mum has spent the last few years working to continue Leia's legacy as a hard-working, extremely gifted, musically talented young woman. This is taken directly from the Leia Droppel Theatre website. The Leia-Druppel Theatre is supposed to be a living memory of Leia, a theatre for children and young people, and a meeting place for music and theatre enthusiasts. In projects, courses and performances, young people are to be taught about music and stage play under experienced and creative guidance. Discovering your own strengths, Gaining self-confidence and developing fun in creative activities are the goals of our theatrical work. As a non-profit organisation, our focus is on music and theatre work, with children and young people. In addition to and to revitalise the cultural scene in the region, artists of various genres are to appear in the theatre. For the Leia Droppel Theatre, The old cinema film Clapper, which has been empty for years, has been rebuilt with the help of the aid fund of Lufthansa, among other foundations, charities and individual donators. There is a video on YouTube which I will link in the show notes. It's in German. I don't speak a word of German, but the video is full of passionate, Loving individuals who are talking to Leia's legacy. The most moving moment, I think, is when Leia's mum gets up on stage. She is clearly so, so proud of this incredible theatre, opened in honour of her daughter, and all the people who have turned up to remember and appreciate Leia, and all of the students. A few students sing a song in English about missing Leia, And that in itself is heartbreaking and full of feeling and love. With many thanks to one of our listeners, Carolyn, for this suggestion and Larissa for some stellar help with the German pronunciations. With huge thanks to Ron Ernie's piece on Ron Doids. It's linked in the show notes if you'd like to read more. Red Rum is written and presented by Grace Cordell. It's produced by Russ Clark and Grace Cordell. Music and sound design by Russ Clark. Title music by Benjamin James.